0: Alright, we're in our parable series. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to talk about parables, I'm going to talk about things that happened in our nation yesterday, and then I'm going to bring us a little hope. Y'all okay with that? Yes. Okay, there's hope and mourning too, so we can mourn today, and that's probably an okay thing. It's not bad. Good? Thanks everybody, and thanks for letting me preach to you on a day like today. It matters. I'm going to read this parable for us. It's Luke 14, 15-24. When one of those at the table heard him, uh, with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. And Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come for everything, now is ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go see it. Please excuse me. And Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. "'Excuse me?' "'Still another said, "'I just got married, so I can't come.' "'The servant came back and reported this to the master, "'and then the owner of the house became angry "'and ordered his servant, "'Go out quickly into the streets, "'the alleys of the town, "'and bring the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. "'And sir,' the servant said, "'what you ordered has been done, "'but there is still room.' "'Then the master told his servant, "'Go out to the roads and country lanes "'and compel them to come in "'so that my house will be full. "'I tell you, not one of those who are invited "'will get a taste of my banquet.' Alright, this parable in some ways feels a little self-explanatory, right? Uh, in good ways, in good ways. So for instance, uh, if you were blind, lame, a beggar, whatever the case may be, during the time of Jesus, people thought that you must have done something to anger God, and that's why you were that way. And what Jesus is basically saying is, no, that's not the case. You are all welcome to sit at the table. You are all invited to the table, right? That's, uh, that's good news. That's grace. I love that. I love that our church embodies that. Uh, historically speaking... Most people think that Jesus was speaking about the Gentiles. So Gentiles, how many, have you heard of Gentiles before? First service, it was everybody, so I'm a little disappointed with y'all. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, the, the Gentiles, right, they're, they're the non-Jewish people. And what Jesus is saying is the non-Jewish people are also going to have a seat at the table. This is good, right? And when I talked to Juby about it, Juby was just like, was like um, you know, this... This parable is like our church parable. Right? People just aren't welcome. People are invited to come in. Not only are they invited to come in, they have a voice. right? They have a voice at this table. And I love that idea. But what Jesus is doing in parables is Jesus is working to change narratives. Now, some of what I just said is the changing of narratives. But, but I want to I wanna focus in on maybe the narratives that are being changed for us today. You know what comes to my mind? Well, not really comes to my mind, but you know what what I sort of was confronted with when I started doing the research on this parable? I was confronted with a whole lot of people and a whole lot of pastors who decided that this parable is very much about heaven and hell. That was interesting for me, okay? And I get it, right? So it says this at the end of it. It says, I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. And that feels, in some ways, that feels eternal, doesn't it? Like, uh, there's a little bit of an an eternal metaphor there that like, hey, if your focus is in the wrong areas, you're going to end up going to hell in the afterlife. If your focus is in the right areas, you'll come to the table. And at the table, that, that looks like heaven. And so I started thinking about the idea of heaven and hell and even the fact that they're in other places. And I wanted to explore that with you today. And so in order to explore context and culture of Scripture, I always say we got to find out who it was that Jesus was talking to, right? That matters. We, he's talking to somebody, and what we get, we get this, this line, it says, when one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. All right, so Jesus is talking to somebody, right, at a table. Cool? We good so far? Alright, we've got to keep going back though to figure out what kind of table and why. right? So let's go all the way back to Luke 14. And I actually want you, if you have your Bible apps with you, to, to open them up and look at Luke 14. Um, it's going to be kind of important because it's going to set the scene for this parable in a really great way. All right. In order for us to set the scene, here's what I need you all to do. I need you to do this with me. I need you to put yourself in this place. Are you ready to do that? Yes. Alright, here's what we're going to do. You're going to imagine that we are hosting a dinner party. Y'all good? Yeah, yeah. All right, now you're hosting the dinner party. You're gonna invite the most famous and most well-to-do people in your town, all right? Mayor's gonna come, religious leader, that bishop, whoever judges maybe, socialites. Those people are gonna to come to your party, you good? How are you dressing at this party? You don't have to shout it out, just think about it. How are we dressing? Formal, Formal. yeah. I'm gonna wear gloves. <laughs> it's gonna be beautiful. Um, I'm gonna do that. Yeah, it's an amazing party. So, everybody comes to your house, and there's like beautiful linen out, the china is amazing, cutlery is great. You, you even hired caterers for this to come bring food out for you, uh, and, and you're doing this because there is a certain guest of honor who is passing through town. And so, the guest of honor is there, and you're all there to get to know the guest of honor. Okay, they're passing through your town, that's what you're trying to do. So, what happens is everybody's having a great time, you're throwing this wonderful party, everybody looks great, the food is good, and all of a sudden, the guest of honor, the one passing through town, looks at the person next to him, picks him up and puts him on the table. It was? Yeah. <laughs> Picks him up, puts him on the table. What would you do? This is your house. That's awkward, right? Super awkward, right? Dude's shoe is in the salad. His hand knocked over a glass of wine. But the guest of honor did this. We don't want to offend the guest of honor just yet, right? Well, let's see what the guest of honor is. And the guest of honor goes, listen, I'm going to do something. You're going to love it. right?" And then what the guest of honor does is culturally inappropriate, ethnically inappropriate, and uh, religiously inappropriate. It is an affront to everybody at that table. I mean, like, an absolute affront. Um, I know this is hard to imagine, but imagine a straight white guy at your table saying something culturally insensitive, (laughs) culturally inappropriate, ethnically inappropriate, disparaging about your religion, right? What would you want to do? You're like, I gotta, I gotta kick this, this, this person needs to go. Like, now, now as the, the person doing the dinner party, I'm like, you're offending me. And so I say something, I say, hey guest of honor, it's actually really offensive. And you know what the guest of honor says? The guest of honor says, hey, you would have done it too if you were in my situation, which is like the perfect straight white guy thing to say. right? That's what we say in that situation, me. Um, and that's what we say, right? because that's who we are, which now everybody's like, oh my gosh, he's not even gonna apologize for this. Yo, this is awkward. And so while you're in the middle of the awkward dinner party, now like, you're just like, all right, first of all, let's get this guy off the table. Second of all, is it possible that maybe I can kick this guest of honor out? And as soon as you think these things, the guest of honor looks at the, the mayor of the town and goes, Mayor, sitting in the seat of honor, I see. Uh, you're not a person of honor. If you were really a person of honor, you'd humble yourself. Looks at the bishop on the other side. Bishop, I saw you were fighting with the mayor over that seat of honor. Yeah, there's nothing about you humble. In fact, the two of you, you call yourselves friends. You're not friends. You're in competition. He says, where I'm from, where I'm from, it's those who humble themselves that get to sit at the seat of honor. And now you're like, I don't know if this dude's okay. I don't know what's going on, but he just insulted my people that I'm going to have to hang out with well after he leaves. I need to, I need to kick this gentleman out of my house. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to kick him out of the house. And right before that happens, this one soul speaks up. And this one soul has had a few drinks. You know, they poured a lot of wine because it's so tense and embarrassing. And, and, and they go, well, hey, where you live, maybe one day I'll do what you do in your place, in your kingdom. And the person goes to cheers because they're trying to change the subject. right? They're trying to get the attention off this weirdo. And all of a sudden, when they cheer, they go, oh, well, hopefully it'll be that way in your kingdom. And then they say, this is a guest of honor. This person who has caused all this tension goes, that reminds me of a story. <laughs> oh, Lord, you know this person, right? <laughs> it's terrible. And then they proceed to tell the story of the great banquet. Do you feel that tension? Do you feel the awkwardness? Do you feel the anger? There's probably a lot of anger there. Do you feel like this feels like a disaster? Like, do you feel it welling up in your chest? That that person that did all those things was Jesus. Jesus comes. He's a guest of honor. Why is he a guest of honor? I'm going to tell you, um, because this isn't... um that crazy. It says, one Sabbath when Jesus went to eat at the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. Now this is normal. Whenever anybody came through town, you would do this for everyone who would come through town. So Jesus is not an exception, right? Jesus is not unique. It's just what you do in this culture. And they're all going to watch him closely because what it was, was you get all the most prominent people to come in and the most prominent people all ask questions. They're like, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? It was commonplace. It was normal to have this happen. So Jesus comes in, sees a guy that has dropsy, drops Y'all know what dropsy is? I didn't even bother looking it up. I don't know what it is. Anyway, comes in. um, I should have done that. (laughs) Um, Anyway, God gets laid on the table. It's laid on the table. And I know this because the way in Middle Eastern culture you would set up a dinner party is the entire room would sort of have a circle around it. And so it was almost literally impossible to move outside of the room unless you started moving chairs and tables out of the way, which wasn't happening. He did it right there at that spot, which, which not only made people feel uncomfortable, but he did it on the Sabbath. Now, here's the thing about the Sabbath. The Sabbath has sort of become like a straw man law. You know what I mean? Like Jesus came to change the laws. Look at the people in the Sabbath. That's ridiculous. But the Sabbath is a cultural tradition. It's an ethnic tradition, it's a religious value. I don't care who you are and how we know in hindsight 2,000 years later what's quote unquote right and wrong, but when that's happening in your home, if somebody's doing that to you, that's an issue, that's a problem, and yet that's what Jesus is doing. And then Jesus says this to the the mayor and to the, um, you know, the mayor and and the bishop. He says, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And they're sitting there going, what are you talking about? What does this mean? And then that's where we get this poor soul who's just trying to save the dinner, and they go, blessed is the one who leadeth the feast of the kingdom of God. Am I right? Cheers. (laughs) And then Jesus goes, let me tell you the story. That's how it all happens. All right. Why is it important to talk about the dinner party that Jesus was at when he tells the story of the parable of the great banquet? Because it matters who Jesus is talking to. And when Jesus is talking to the most prominent people, what Jesus is doing is redefining heaven and hell for the most prominent of people. So how is Jesus redefining heaven? He's saying these things are not in the kingdom of heaven. These things are not. And I see three things that Jesus speaks to. Jesus speaks to being first, being first says, when you talk about the kingdom of heaven, it's not about being first. Now, we live in New York, and what matters more than anything else? Being first. In fact, my kids, and I talk about my kids all the time from stage, um, they're gonna one day grow up to resent that. And, um, but anyway, you know what they say to me? They say this to me, and they've said this to me more than once, six, seven, eight times. They said, Daddy, why would I try to do that thing if I'm not gonna win in doing it, or if I'm not gonna be first in doing it? Like, it's, it's here, it permeates, it's in our culture. We've created a whole economic system around it, right? It's called capitalism. Mm -hmm. And what we say is we say the person who works the hardest, who pulls himself up by the bootstraps, the person who is the entrepreneur and has that spirit, they're the ones who are going to win. They're the ones who are going to make the money. They're the ones. They're the 1%. That's what we do. Jesus says, when you look at my kingdom of heaven, my kingdom of heaven actually changes that and throws it on its head. It's actually about those who are humble becoming exalted and y'all who want to be first, meh. that doesn't fly in the kingdom of heaven, but he keeps going, Jesus. And he says, you know what? I'm going to confront you about being right. My healing on the Sabbath, my affront to you, my insensitivity towards you is confronting you about being right. Being right is a major issue, especially in American Christianity. My dad says often, my dad says, you can be a giant jerk so long as you believe the right things. That's what my dad will say often. And I think that's true. What we do, and this is me personally, I think that the way I see God, the way I see God more than any other way, is in relationship. The way I see God is by looking into the face of another, right? That's how I see God. And what happens is when we decide that the kingdom is all about being right, what we do is we say, I don't see that. I don't see you. I don't see God in you. I see God uh, in in law. Or I see God in the things that I've decided are the right platitudes. So I'm going to go ahead and I can shame you if I want to. I can exclude you if I want to. I can tell you you're not made in the image of God. I can go ahead and tell you that you deserve what you're getting right now. I can tell you all those things because it's not not about me looking into you and seeing the face of God. It's about you having to be right in my eyes and I've decided what's right and wrong. Right? Those are the things that we're able to do. Right? And Jesus says, you know, in my kingdom, when you look at heaven, it's not about being right. It's about being in relationship. Being in relationship means that there are people from the highways and the byways and everywhere else who are absolutely 100% made in my image. And when God gets what God wants, we all get to go to the table. You're not ex- we're, we're, We all get to come to the table it's not about being right it's about being in a relationship and then this is what I think is the biggest one the biggest one is I think uh, Jesus speaks to power we know the way Jesus speaks to power Jesus speaks to power because the most powerful people are at the table most powerful people are at the table doesn't that sound familiar but here's the thing and this is the thing my guess I could be wrong I could be wrong my guess is that there are people here today who love their jobs. And you love your job, you have great coworkers, you make enough money, you pay the bills, do all the things you have to do, and yet you're looking for something else. You're like, hmm, what's happening over there? What's happening over here? Because what we've been taught is we've been taught to stay complacent, or to be complacent, or to stay at one place, or, or to be, you know, have fidelity to one thing, that's not powerful. That makes you weak. And so as happy as we are, as content as we are, we're always sort of looking in the other direction to see if there's something better. That's an issue that we have, right? I mean, it's an issue we have from like the, uh, the top down. It's an issue that we have when somebody invites us out. Somebody just invited me out, and I'm not gonna say yes or no, I'm just gonna see if there's something better, right? That's why we put interested on Facebook. <laughs> That's why we do it, because it's about power. How do I gain more power? How do I I get more influence? How do I make that happen in a relationship? My relationship's going incredibly well, but there might be somebody who is better for me, who brings me to the next echelon, the upper level. We crave power. Make America Great Again, that slogan is about power. How do we reclaim power for the white people, for white men especially? How do we reclaim that power? And in God's kingdom, God says it's not about power. It's not about giving power. It's not about using power. What it's about is about withholding power to bring equity to others. So here's the problem. What Jesus knows is that when power corrupts, when power corrupts and it becomes a narrative When that's the case, and when the only people sitting at the table are the powerful, there's propaganda that gets told, and that propaganda leads to to people picking up assault rifles and killing other people in the name of reclaiming power, and that is absolutely demonic. There is nothing heavenly about that, and that is the hell that comes, right? When power corrupts, you have people that have always been told that they deserve power, that they should be in power, picking up weapons of mass destruction to make sure that they stay in that power, Want to redefine heaven and hell? What happened yesterday is hell. It's what happens when we put being first. It's what happens when we say that power is the the currency that drives us. It's what happens when we say that we're right. Those things make it so that we do not get a taste of the banquet. They make it so that we don't get a taste of the kingdom of heaven. And instead we mourn. We mourn those hellish things. But there's hope in this parable. I'm going to give us a little bit of hope. The hope in this parable is this. And Robert Farrar Capon, he says it best. He says, when you combine uh, these ideas, right, what it ends up becoming is it becomes bookkeeping. And this is what bookkeeping is. The human race is positively addicted to keeping records and remembering scores. What we call life is simply the juggling of accounts in our heads. If God has announced anything in Jesus, it's that he, for one, has pensioned off the bookkeeping department permanently. And here's what gets me about heaven and hell in this situation. What gets me about heaven and hell in this situation is we've made heaven and hell about bookkeeping. Oh my gosh. I do a few right things over here, I go to heaven. I do a few wrong things over here, I go to hell. That's erased by this parable. This parable says heaven happens right now. Your kingdom come on earth right now, this moment. And if you want to see what heaven looks like, stop worrying about being first. Stop, uh, start worrying about bringing equity. It's not about being first. Now I'm I'm talking about bringing people along with me who've never had the opportunity to even consider being first. And I bring them with me because we're all going to get a piece. And and when, when, when God gets God's way, we get a glimpse of heaven when it's not about being right, it's about being in relationship. Like I said, so now I don't care about who you are, about what other people think you are according to law. I care about you as a child of God. And I look into your face and I tell you so. And then, what we do is we say it's not about power. We see what happens when power corrupts. We are in this place today because we are seeing what happens when power corrupts. That is hell. Heaven. Heaven comes when we say, you know what? It's not about me. It's not about me gaining power. It's about me withholding my power so that others get a little bit. And that changes things, brings heaven to this place. We get a chance to actually bring heaven to this place. We get a chance when we live out the parable that Jesus talks about. The, the rabbi, uh, Rami Shapiro, they say this. They say, I made a choice for heaven, and having done so, I went in search of the tools for living it. And I think that's our call today. How do we go in search of the tools for living out heaven? What do we do? And today, I'm going to be honest, I don't really know the answer. I don't know the answer. Which means today, maybe we just mourn. Maybe we're pissed off. Maybe that's what we do today. But I also know that God says I love you so much that you are going to bring my kingdom here to this place on earth and you're going to bring a little bit of heaven. And so I'm going to mourn today and maybe mourning brings a little bit of heaven. But then tomorrow I'm going to say, okay, what tools do I need to bring that little bit of heaven to others? What way do I need to bring people into relationship? What way do I need to bring people into equity? What way do I stop corrupt power? Again, I don't know the answer. But I do know there is a God who uses us to bring that heaven and what a privilege that is. So maybe today we mourn and maybe tomorrow we call somebody. Maybe today we mourn and maybe tomorrow we talk to someone. Maybe maybe tomorrow we, we, we simply say, hey, this is just an opportunity that I have to bring a little bit of heaven to somebody in a way that, that just sort of came upon me and I'm just going to do it. I don't know, but how are we bringing heaven? It's the conscious choice that we get to make every day that Jesus shows us through this parable. Because otherwise, being first, Being right, being powerful, just leads us to hell. The rabbi Shapiro finishes by saying this, we have a choice. We can engage this moment with kindness or cruelty, with love or fear, with generosity or scarcity, with a joyous heart or an embittered one. This is our choice. No one can make it for us. If we choose kindness, love, generosity, and joy, then we will discover in that choice the kingdom of God, heaven, nirvana, this world, salvation. If we choose cruelty, fear, scarcity, and bitterness, we'll discover in that choice a hellish state of which so many religions speak. These are not ontological realities. They're not tucked to where somewhere in space. These are the existential realities playing out in our mind because it is our choice given to us by God. It is our choice given to us by God. Our choice that determines where heaven will reside. And so it be with us. Amen? Amen. God, today's a tough day. But you've given us your kingdom, and you've given it to us. You've told us what it looks like, and you've told us us what it looks like to be invited. So God, not only are we thankful that you've invited us in our brokenness, and in our craving for power, and our craving to be right, thank you for inviting us, but you've asked us to invite others. So God, give us the courage to bring heaven on a day like today. Give us the courage to bring heaven in the midst of so much hopelessness. And God, thank you for your grace that comes through this parable, through your kingdom, and through so many unimaginable ways. We thank you. Pray this in your name. Amen.